We are speaking with Marie-Hélène Kailol, the co-founder and president of LEAP, the European Laboratory of Political Anticipation, which publishes a fantastic newsletter, GIEB, the Global European Anticipation Bulletin. Now, LEAP is a rarity in the world of think tanks because you are independent and as neutral and objective as one can be, I'd like to think. You have some of the best analysis and political forecasts because you are extremely serious in your research and sober in your conclusions. Could you tell us about the successes LEAP has had and about your particular methodology of political anticipation? Yes, of course. Thank you very much for uh, for uh, the opportunity of this uh, of this interview and of uh, clarifying some things. And thank you very much for this very uh, positive uh, introduction. Uh, yes, indeed, with the leap uh, is as um, very rare characteristics. In particular, the fact of being independent. Indeed, it is a citizen-based ba think tank. Uh, that doesn't receive any any funding uh, and that is solely funded by this uh, publication the global europe anticipation bulletin that you refer to indeed we uh, we have this uh, we target this neutrality objectivity which is part of our method this method of political anticipation indeed uh, uh, which uh, definitely try, tries as much as possible to 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 get away to take a perspective from uh, uh, opinions and judgments and uh, look rather at the systemic dimension of of, uh, of current evolutions. Um, we've been following uh, indeed since two thousand six. Uh, uh, not following, because we don't follow, we anticipate, so we're ahead. Uh, we've been anticipating uh, what we called as early as from the first edition, the first number of uh, this GIB, the Global Systemic Crisis, which um, since therefore, as I said, January 2006, when we launched the first issue, uh, has been um, anticipating what we called, as I said, the Global Systemic Crisis, based on a basic uh, anticipation which was the collapse of the what we uh, what Franck Bianchieri at the time called I might come back on this uh, the the fall of the dollar wall in uh, in a mirror effect uh, with the fall of the of the Berlin wall of course uh, uh, as you know the last step of a, of a major global transition out of uh, the logics of the 20th century post uh, second world war logics the cold war etc um, and this led us uh, to uh, make very detailed anticipations on uh, the financial crisis which erupted in 2007-8 for instance we were among the first probably in Europe the first ones uh, to anticipate the subprime the subprime crisis and that was my next point uh, you've been addressing this for years and there are so many geopolitical and economic pieces on the three-dimensional chessboard uh, if you will to, to follow most recently, Leap has been discussing the death of the petrodollar and the birth of the golden petro yuan. Uh, this seems to be the root of the global systemic crisis, this transition away from Pax Americana to something new, a multipolar world. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this? Because you mentioned how you forecasted 2008, the financial crisis. Um, and this is a long process which takes many years. So into the near future how do you see things well first uh, first of all when uh, we started anticipating making these anticipations we uh, in fact 
uh, wouldn't have imagined that it was uh, that it would take so long. Uh, so we are now 11 years after our first anticipations. We are nine years, more or less, after the first uh, strong signals of this uh, transition. As I said, we sort of link it to a transition out of the post-Second uh, World War world, which was mostly organized around this bipolar uh, uh, Cold War logic. Uh, and so that's why we, in fact, uh, uh, see a, a, a process starting in 1989, uh, in fact, uh, with indeed 2007 and the financial crisis as the first very clear sign that indeed on the U.S. Sign side as well, there is a, a major shift out of uh, indeed this uh, system in which uh, uh, there was on one side the USSR and, the, and, and on the other side the U.S. Uh, and that we are indeed heading towards something more open that includes uh, new powers. Uh, first of all, the, the former powers involved in the, in the Soviet system, of course, Russia in the first uh, in the first place, uh, uh, China, of course, uh, the big game changer as well. Europe as well, which is something which, in fact, we took take into the into very strong consideration. What Europe brought in in terms of uh, multipolarization, uh, global multipolarization, even though Europe is very shy <laughs> in going to the end of its objective. But the, the, when in 2002 we have the, the euro uh, uh, arriving on the table of, uh, of the international uh, monetary system, uh, it is a game changer as well that opens, in fact, uh, a Pandora box somehow that is today echoed by this, uh, this third, uh, uh, let's say second rather, uh, step in multipolarization of the monetary system that is now Introduced by the by the what the Chinese brought uh, to this year, which is the petro yuan, uh, the fact uh, uh, that we now have uh, uh, a, a way out of a dollar-based uh, system uh, to pay, in particular for the the big uh, commodity which petrol and gas are, and so we have a game changer in the, 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 at the end of this year with this petro yuan arriving on on our table, which introduces the yuan as now a second uh, pillar of uh, for a for an international monetary system but which which we anticipate of we analyze because it's in this case the chinese are uh, we're not only anticipating it's the strategy of the chinese the chinese are not just heading for a second uh, global currency they are obviously, according to our analysis, in favor of a multi-currency uh, monetary system uh, in which they, uh, they encourage the uh, euro, euro in, particular, in particular to take uh, its, full, uh, its full shape, uh, its full uh, role and place. Historically, um, when these transitions occur, usually there's, most of the time, there's a huge military conflict. Uh, a minority of my guests that I, I always ask this question only a few believe that there could come to a thermonuclear war or a huge military conflict, but the majority don't think that that will happen. Do you anticipate any huge regional or world type war? Alors, bon, this is a this is a very complicated uh, topic because, as we say in our, when in our work of political uh, method of political anticipation, we have to uh, dismiss uh, emotions, <laughs> obviously. And this is a topic on which it's quite difficult. I can tell you, as researcher, uh, uh, that uh, our research teams find it very difficult to to indeed, uh, see, well, analyze whether they are uh, non-emotional or 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 if they are in analyzing this aspect. 
aspect of, of the crisis, which of course we have in mind, uh, which of course is a risk. Uh, we tend to have to be optimistic, but I would call it optimism. Huh? You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not so sure it's... Uh, he, we follow very closely indeed the evolutions. Uh, we were very, uh, I don't know if you read the, the anticipations we wrote in 2014, and in this uh, major wrong path that Europe and the US, but Europe uh, trapped uh, between the US and Russia uh, took in uh, building this uh, row with uh, with Russia, which is absolutely dramatic and conveys risks, uh, major risks in which we would have, if it uh, goes to, uh, to something really bad, we would have a complete responsibility. Uh, voilà. We have to take this uh, to to take this into account that we are not suffering from uh, some kind of bust, being busted by, by Russia. We also have our responsibilities as Europeans in, in this route. Uh, of course, there's now voilà, everything uh, that relates to North Korea. But in our last, uh, in our last edition, uh, uh, we, well, I'm not saying that this dismisses any big major risk, uh, but we've come to a conclusion, it's not a conclusion, of course, but we are questioning ourselves whether in this crisis, uh, the military aspect of the crisis, uh, it's not also about a collapse of the US might, uh, and that we have, in fact, uh, a lot of agitation <laughs> to actually replace uh, capacity <laughs> to, uh, to enforce one's policy with a lot of noise, uh, uh, and that, uh, in fact, there are issues in terms of the U.S. Uh, military uh, almightiness, as opposed of uh, in competition now with uh, uh, Chinese-Russian uh, competition, uh, uh, which um, in which, of course, in, uh, in if you want to be the military leader, you must be far uh, beyond, far above, uh, technologically speaking, the others. Uh, and today we have a multipolarization of military might as well, which, of course is both a bad news and a good news because conflict and confrontation is on the rise, but it's also in, in a way that nobody has an interest in triggering anything. The question we think today that is really uh, on the table is whether in, voilà, in all the pieces of this multipolar military uh, system that we have, uh, there is the diplomatic or voilà, the, the expertise, the, the um, cleverness required to handle a multipolar Cold War somehow, <laughs> you see what I mean? Not Cold War in the sense that hopefully it will not shut up uh, blocks on themselves, uh, but in this, in these interactions between these military systems that now are competing with, with each other, do we have the diplomatic networks, let's say, let's call them like that, capable of uh, keeping the balance so that no accident occurs. And here, our anticipation would be to say that uh, any, any major crisis of a nuclear crisis would be the result of an accident, of a diplomatic accident. That's how we see it today, and that the attempt of the, of the parties involved are, are more about uh, a, a cold war, a multipolar cold war, uh, let's hope as short as possible, paving the way for stabilization uh, through uh, international uh, and multipolar uh, mechanisms of governance. Uh, but we, we are here, by the way. It's not so much an anticipation. The situation between Europe and Russia, for instance, is typically close to, be, to, to some kind of cold war. Uh, to talk about Brexit, just very briefly, you say that the EU will renew, uh, restructure, strengthen and you lay out various options for Britain, 
they may go for a soft Brexit, even remain somehow. Um, there are some interest. You may have alluded to this that it's possible that Britain can form some type of union, monetary, monetary or political with the U.S. because that was proposed in 1939. That was called the Atlantic Union. Um, what are your thoughts with Brexit, just briefly? Yes, well, about your last point, this is something we should study, you're right, but we are not there ourselves yet. We are more about uh, the fact that the UK is be becoming aware that it has to uh, that um, it has to reinvent its relationship to uh, to Europe. Um, our our analysis is that uh, Brexit is very difficult to implement. So uh, it's currently, uh, there's no certainty that we reach anywhere. So we have a sort of halfway situation in which uh, they're out and they're still in and uh, it blocks lots of things. It also opens opportunities and so, but it's all a mess <laughs> and it needs to be sold out. And today, if we look at all the interests that are involved in the negotiation process uh, around the Brexit, uh, um, it's very difficult to imagine what could come out uh, constructively out, uh, out of it. So, um, so today we sort of see um, we look at one big uh, cha game changer uh, coming ahead, which is the 2019 European election, uh, in which obviously everybody, all parties, uh, citizens, of course, uh, maybe not the first, but uh, political uh, national levels and uh, the European institutions are, be are aware now that, that there is a need to create a political democratically as much as possible anchored uh, system to cover uh, voilà, and to guide uh, the common institutions, common system, which today is very institutional, as we all know. And today this institutional system has no leaders. So, no, so that's why everybody draws, pulls the, the machine uh, in one direction, in the other, etc. And it produces basically nothing anymore, nothing, uh, nothing useful. <laughs> it, and, and, uh, and so we are trapped into that on, in, on many aspects. With, uh, we were talking about the Euro-Russian row, uh, the Turkish crisis, uh, the Brexit, uh, the fiscal Europe, uh, the, the reform of the, of the Eurozone. All these topics are today who has the political legitimacy to enforce a direction, an orientation. And so that's why we today are convinced uh, that, uh, analyze, let's say, that uh, all parties involved in, uh, in this uh, institutional system, in this uh, European common system, are aware that there is a need for more political power at, uh, uh, at the head, and that the 2019 election is a way to change things in this regard and so that's why we have all these debates rising about transnational lists which would bring into the European Parliament as it exists today um, political groups that are of a trans-European dimension and that therefore will be will have very consistent um, uh, programs and agendas uh, capable of driving the European Parliament into political directions that have the capacity to to bring change and to get out of all the traps we're 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 into now. So we are really are heading in this direction uh, on all aspects. And in terms of Brexit too, because the Brexit is a catastrophe. I, I here I'm talking about personal experience in in Brussels. I. I I, I saw people who sort of rejoiced themselves of the fact that the British might not be able to get out and so that, you know, everybody's going to see that you don't get out of the EU. And I keep telling them this is catastrophic. If 
people, the, the citizens, have the feeling that uh, you can't change the machine and you can't get out of it, then it's a catastrophe. So Brexit is okay, we can get out of it, but at least we must be able to change it. And so if, if uh, and we are going to have a, an increased political crisis in Europe, if this is the signal sent to the citizens of the UK, but also of the continent, uh, if that's all we can do with the Brexit. So there is, we are in a trap and we need to get out of it. And here indeed LEAP has uh, proposals uh, which still need to be tested in terms of a, a way out of the Brexit crisis, both due to, based on the political uh, capacity that could be result from the 2019 election and resulting European Parliament, etc. But also in terms of uh, maybe inventing a way out that in French we say une sortie par le haut from a, a way out from from above, which could go, uh, which could um, include uh, look at the. Look at the European construction at large, take into consideration the larger circle that we have, which is the European economic uh, area, which includes also Norway and Iceland and Liechtenstein well, and, uh, and Britain, maybe, because Britain could be staying. And that's, uh, that's here you were referring to this debate about soft or hard Brexit, the soft Brexit meaning that UK remains in the EEA. Uh, and so if we look at the EU uh, from above uh, with, uh, with this uh, larger circle, which is EEA, we could imagine ways out of the crisis by reintegrating everybody uh, into this EEA becoming voila, more visible, uh, being maybe integrated in one way or another. I'm saying here something very, you know, this is not an anticipation. This is something that uh, I don't know if you want to keep this or not, by the way. Uh, it's not at all an anticipation, but with voila, we think there is power to this proposal, um, which would be to integrate uh, the EEA altogether in some electoral uh European electoral process, not in 2019, maybe in 2024, uh, with the creation of super committees in the European Parliament that would be, that would um, uh, like super committee of the Eurozone, for instance, uh, with just maps from the Eurozone, uh, super committee from Schengen, uh, with just maps from the Schengen area, with, uh, well, like super why not a super committee of the EEA? Because we know that with the EEA, there are issues due to the fact that these countries suffer decisions made by the EU without having the capacity to influence them. So why not give them some kind of link to the capacity to influence these decisions by through this election? And then we can reintegrate everybody into a multi-speed Europe, which is something, of course, we advocate for uh, uh, here as LEAP more than as GIB, because uh, I would like to distinguish between our work at GIB, which is a work of anticipation, and our work at LEAP, which is more a work of proposals and political anticipation. Are there any other political anticipations that you feel important uh, to mention, whether it's the Middle East or economic yeah. bubbles that we see around the world from housing and bonds and stocks? Or is there just is there one more issue maybe that you could leave us with uh, that you'd like to mention? The one last thing that I would like to to mention is maybe indeed our anticipations uh, 
um, on the Middle East, you, you mentioned it, uh, and our successes as regards uh, to, the, to Turkey. Uh, indeed, we anticipated the, the Euro-Turkish uh, uh, row, we, we anticipated the exit uh, of, uh, of Turkey. Well, it's not a formal exit, but uh, everybody is aware of and knows exactly what's going on uh, as regards to the relationship between Turkey and NATO. This is really something where we have a set of anticipations articles which are, have been very clairvoyant, very very lucid. Um, and we also, well, uh, we've spent, uh, well, of course, I have in mind the last issue, even though there's a lot on the Middle East in the GIB. Um, and in particular, in the last issue, we make this anticipation, which uh, also is about a major game changer, is uh, that we anticipate that uh, uh, Saudi Arabia uh, is going to be tempted or and is uh, by this petro yuan that we mentioned earlier, uh, which would be, of course, a major thunder <laughs> into the into the the sky of the petro dollar. Um, if Saudi Arabia ends up accepting being paid for its oil and gas in in petro yuans, and uh, we think that indeed there are. Um, tensions in this area with Qatar, with, uh, uh, with uh, of course, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and, and the other uh, um, uh, Gulf states, uh, uh, which are probably related to divisions, uh, but internal divisions within each of these countries uh, on, the, on the path to take. Uh, but one a very clear signal for us uh, is the fact that the current king of Saudi Arabia uh, changed this summer uh, the, the the hair of the throne, uh, putting ben, uh, Prince Ben Salman uh, instead of, uh, more, I forgot the name, um, uh, and Ben Salman being clearly someone much more in uh, much more in contact with Russia and China than the, than the other the previous uh, prince uh, here. Um, so this is for us a clear signal of the intentions of the government itself. Uh, even though, of course, there might be tensions, and in particular tensions uh, uh, that probably involve the military, uh, let's say, uh, component of uh, of Saudi Arabia. But here, voila, it's uh, we have elements, lots of elements in our last key book on, on, the, on this, and we dare the anticipation to say that before the end of the year, probably Saudi Arabia will not tilt into the Chinese camp because every country in this multipolar reorganization is trying to, to build its independence based on the fact that they get out of, uh, of, uh, of being connected to just one power. Every entity, every global entity has today an interest in, in uh, balancing its uh, relation uh, uh, among different powers. Uh, so it means away from the US in, certain, in, in most cases, uh, closer to, voilà, to China uh, or other powers. But uh, the aim is certainly not for each of these countries, uh, certainly tactically, uh, strategic strategically speaking, to, to sell themselves to another camp, but to build their independence based on, uh, voilà, on, on, uh, on being, uh, on balancing voilà, their, their, their relationship uh, multi-directionally. Next month, Next. the Saudi king is making a historic uh, visit to Russia. I believe that's the first time. And it would be quite interesting to see, you know, in 1945, when Roosevelt met with a uh, the Saudi king on a ship somewhere to set up the petrodollar, and if the Saudi king met with Putin somewhere on the ship to 
arrange the new Petro Gold Yuan. Uh, so that would be interesting. Uh, one final question. Ordinary people often do not find political anticipation so interesting, perhaps, and do not understand the benefits of being able to anticipate political and, by extension, financial events. How do you think political anticipation and newsletters such as yours could benefit ordinary citizens around the world? So first of all, I do not agree on what you just said, the fact that ordinary people are not interested in political anticipation, because really our readership contradicts this very much. We have very normal people reading the, the bulletin, and usually, and we, well, of course, educated people, and, uh, uh, but but normal educated people, not experts or anything, no. Uh, so, and very also varied uh, spheres of activity. Uh, we have retired people, we have uh, financial advisors, we have, uh, uh, but we have also uh, voilà, all sorts of uh, teachers, uh, all sorts of, of professions uh, who read the GIBA. So there is a potential, and it's not only a potential, it's a, it's a, it's a goal. In fact, it's a name of political anticipation. We uh, des des design our, our method of our, in, a, in a way that is democratic. <laughs> I know we use this word a lot, but here too, we think today that everybody need, needs, everybody contributes to a general decision-making system, which is extremely com complex. And that indeed, decision-making requires to, uh, to to build some command over the future. And political anticipation aims at being a very simple method that helps taking better into consideration and account uh, the future into one's decision, uh, well, a present decision, uh, and based on good also, with also connection to the past. Of, uh, we have a whole set of, uh, of analysis on this. Uh, 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 on this aspect of the time, how we see time now as a, as a, as a long line uh, between the past and the future. And um, so, yes, because as we were saying, we are uh, in a very, very complex uh, world where if you want to produce change, uh, you have to get ready for it uh, and take time and, and take time ahead. Uh, whatever the field you're in, of course, big leader, big, big political leaders, of course, it's true, but it's true for at many levels, in fact, uh, to induce change in a complex system, it takes time. And then it's time ahead, of course, uh, to, 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 to target change in, let's say, 5, 10, 20 years. We ourselves leap are on a 20-year uh, ahead project of uh, democratization of Europe. That was our basic uh, uh, line. And so as long as, as you re make, become aware of this time ahead of you to uh, build your strategy, you have to take into account what do you have ahead else than your own strategy. And you start combining. And this requires, indeed, uh, a lot of... Uh, objectivity, a lot of information. So we have a whole set of, uh, of um, in our method of elements on, on uh, information system, but that are accessible to each and every one. No big data, you know, kind of, uh, of uh, requirement. We, we, we assert the fact that uh, each and every one normal, every, every normal person has a capacity to improve one's, uh, one's information uh, uh, system. And um, we also have analysis on how uh, we have the capacity with internet today of being, we are de facto extremely uh, interconnected. And this interconnection produces um, 
perspectives, helps contributes to produce perspective on events. So every person is uh, invited by LEAP in particular, uh, and we try to promote indeed this method of political emancipation in academic circles because we think it deserves uh, to become maybe a discipline at university or well, even uh, even maybe uh, before university, uh, but we're not yet, yet there. And so, of course, the GIB is a very uh, interesting um, application of this method. Uh, it shows uh, how well, uh, relevant it is. I didn't mention something important. Maybe it's that the GIB was mostly written by Franck Bianchery, mm -hmm. who is the co-founder of LEAP, uh, and, but who has a very long history behind him of political activism and analysis and anticipation, etc. And, uh, and Frank Yankeri had indeed this capacity to anticipate events. It, he proved it before. Um, and gradually, uh, he came to the idea that uh, it was certainly not a God-given gift and that there was probably a method to to clarify behind the, behind this capacity. And so that's why we started working on this notion of the method of political emancipation. And when he passed away, which is something I didn't yet say, in, uh, in 2012, when he was aged 51, he passed away, unfortunately. And uh, we were working with him, uh, and we thought we wouldn't maybe be capable of continuing the GIB, uh, but he had made this bet uh, that we could. Uh, and it's a fact that today we still produce a GIB that uh, is probably a bit different, uh, but that, that is still valuable a lot. Uh, and if we are able to do that, it's because indeed he uh, transferred this method to us, he, he transmitted it to us, and it's and there is something transmittable in the way he was uh, functioning and he was analyzing and anticipating. So, um, so right, we are the GIB is in many ways uh, uh, very useful in understanding what political anticipation is about and. Uh, voilà. and making it uh, voilà, accessible to each and every one. There is, the GIP also has uh, the objective to uh, invite its readers to, voilà, to, to integrate uh, the method of the GIP itself. I believe it's 220 euros per year. Yes, it's 220 euros per year for 10 issues, each issue being about around 30 pages. Um, um, and uh, the renewals, it's important to mention, are only 160 euros. So it's only the first year that uh, 220 are required. Well, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> well, uh, <Most> welcome. <laughs> Uh, and uh, thanks again for, for your time uh, and the fantastic work that you do. I indeed have followed uh, uh, your work for years and can confirm that you have accurately prognosticated uh, many events. So thank you again. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure and a great opportunity. Thanks very much.